Two weeks ago, a national headline uh, was made. As yet, unfortunately, you probably heard this or read it or saw it. Unfortunately, another celebrity pastor was fired from his position at his church uh, due to infidelity to his marriage, uh, his wife of, of 17 years. I have a picture of this on the screen so you can see uh, everybody knows his name. His name is Carl Lentz, and he passes right here in New York City. And unfortunately, uh, this is what made the national headlines. Uh, Brian Houston, who's the senior pastor at Hillsong, released a statement, and he said this. This action, the firing of Carl Lentz, has been taken following ongoing discussions in relation to leadership issues and breaches of trust, plus a recent revelation of moral failures. When people heard the news of, of Carl Lentz firing at, at the church, man, Twitter thumbs and Facebook fingers began filling the internet with every because everybody has a thought and everybody has an opinion, uh, and everybody thinks their opinion matters, so they gotta let the world know, right? And so when this happened, everybody filled the internet. Listen, Christians and non-Christians had comments about what happened to Carl Lentz. Among the things that were mentioned were uh, things like this. How could a pastor do such a thing? How could he do that? Uh, somebody else said, I knew it. I mean, just look at him, the way he dresses, how he speaks. Look at who he hangs out with. In fact, a lot of, the, a lot of people mentioned that he was, you know, Justin Bieber's pastor. Kevin Durant, whenever he was in New York, would go to Hillsong. So, of course, look who he hangs out with. Uh, another person wrote this. Carl Lenz is the pastor 2020 deserves. These are the comments that they're making of Carl Lenz. Uh, when um, I know I have you know the thoughts that came to my mind when when you heard the news, or what was the first thing that came to your mind when you heard about this? Uh, if this is your first time hearing of of this, and maybe you don't even know who Carl Lentz is, that's not, that's not the point of this. I'm just asking you, what is your thought? What comes to your mind? What what do you think of? What what are the thoughts that are panning your mind right now as you hear this? the tension in the room. Because so often when we hear about another Christian's downfall, we're real quick to, uh, to knock them down, to destroy, to attack that person, to attack their reputation, to attack their character, and to attack whatever else we can get our hands on. And, uh, and unfortunately, this is the disposition that a lot of Christians have taken when it comes to, of course, such a high-profile celebrity pastor, uh, you know, if it had been somebody nobody knew, it probably wouldn't have been such a big deal, but since everybody knows this guy, Carl Lentz, it's, it's really made, made a big deal. Now listen, I don't, I don't mean to judge your response. That's not what I'm trying to do. That's not even the point that I'm trying to make. I'm not trying to judge, you know, whatever your response was to, to what happened. Rather, what I want to do is ask us two questions. I want to ask us, why is that your initial response? That's the first question. And the second question is, is that what Jesus would want for his bride, the church? That's what I want us to think about. Today we're beginning a brand new series. It's called No Space Between Us. We're going to be working our way through Galatians chapter 6. Let me try to give you guys a little background, a little bit of context, briefly, as briefly as I can, uh, about the entire book of Galatians. I'll try to do this quickly. Paul wrote... The letter to the church to, to this church in the region of Galatia, which is why the letter is called Galatians. 
The reason he wrote this letter is because some false teachers were infiltrating their ranks and they were teaching a false, uh, an addition to, to Paul's gospel. They were teaching what was a false gospel. And they, what they were saying is that the message that Paul was giving them was incomplete. It was missing a piece is what these false teachers said. They said that in addition to that whole gospel stuff and Jesus stuff, Paul, you're, you're missing something else. You're missing a couple of Old Testament rules and laws and regulations in addition to that Jesus stuff. You keep your Jesus stuff, that's cool, but don't forget about this Old Testament stuff in order to experience salvation. So Paul writes this letter to correct that false teaching and to reaffirm the true and pure gospel. And in the latter part of this letter, Paul teaches the practical implications of the gospel. In other words, what does the truth of Jesus Christ living, dying, and resurrecting, how do, what does that do to me, my life? The fact that that's true, does it impact me at all? It absolutely does. And this is what Paul is saying in the last part of Galatians. The fact that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, and that the Holy Spirit takes residence in our lives, impacts the way we live our lives. And so in the chapter that we're about to begin, chapter 6, Paul is going to teach us how the gospel and how the Holy Spirit impacts our relationships. Now last week we, we, we concluded a series in Galatians chapter 5 where we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And essentially that's what the Holy Spirit does to me, inside of me. This part in chapter 6, Paul's going to talk about what the Holy Spirit does to we, how we interact with one another, our relationships, specifically the relationships in church, how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's going to begin with the lesson on restoration. Everybody say restoration. restoration. That's what he's going to be talking about today. What do we do when a fellow believer has sinned? We tend to be real quick to dismiss a fallen brother or sister in Christ. But we're not really good at restoring our fallen brother or sister in Christ. So how do we do that? Number one, if you're taking notes or you're following along is this. And that is that restoration is the family business. Restoration is the family business. Galatians 6.1, let's look at that again. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Now Paul says here, brothers and sisters, Meaning that he's talking to fellow Christians, right? He's talking to other Christians, other followers of Jesus. And he's alluding to the fact that Jesus makes us family through his work on the cross. And then he says, if, any, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you can put that verse back up, Junior, right there, uh, verse 1. He says, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, so Paul is saying, if someone who is a follower of Christ falls into sin, which tells us, uh, by the way, guys, that Christians aren't exempt from sinning. Uh, you don't have a get-out-of-sin-free card. Christians sin, which is exactly why Paul is introducing this section in his letter. So he says, you who are spiritual, you should restore such a person. The key word here is restore. Everybody say restore. restore. Because God is a God of restoration. He's a God of restoration. Listen, He restores what is broken. 
And since God is in the business of restoration, we should also continue in the family business. My dad owned a dry cleaner for 25 years. Guess what I did for a good part of my youth? I worked in the dry cleaners. That was the, business, the family business. And if God is in the business of restoration, guess what your business should be? As followers of Jesus, we should also be in the business of restoration. The problem is that unfortunately, too many times, Christians are known more for judgment and condemnation than for forgiveness and restoration. Which is just such a shame, considering that we serve a king who willingly sacrificed his life for the forgiveness of our sin and the restoration of our relationship with God. How backwards is that? The word that's translated restore is a Greek word that was used uh, for, as a medical term. Uh, if you don't know this, much of the New Testament, the original language it was written in, was Greek. Sometimes when we look at the original language, we were able to kind of pry in and, and learn a little bit more. And so the word that's translated restore came from a Greek word that was actually a medical term. And it was used to describe setting a fractured or broken bone. You have a fractured bone or broken bone? This, this term restore is what, what they would have done. The medical, the, the medical doctors would have described it this way. It's what they did to set a bone. In other words, it was positioning a broken part for healing to occur. That's what restoration is. It means helping and healing. It's helping fix what's broken so that healing can occur. And what does it involve? It involves repentance and return to a living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Paul says we should gently restore our brother or sister. Gentleness, if you guys remember from our last series, was one of the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness. Gentleness should be our demeanor. Gentleness should be our attitude towards restoring our fellow brother or sister. And then, Paul drops this gem. He says, watch out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. In other words, we humbly restore our brother or sister because guess what? It could be you. It could be me. It could be me. So we treat others with the same kind of kindness. We treat others with the same sort of compassion, the same sort of gentleness that we would like to receive had it been us. Aren't you glad that when God looked at you, when God looked at me in our sinful and fallen state, He didn't dismiss us. He didn't reject us. He didn't throw us out with the trash. Instead, He took on the disposition of restorer. And he gently restored us through the wrath of God satisfied on Christ on the cross. He chose to mend. He chose to heal. He chose to restore the brokenness in you, to restore the brokenness in me. Restoration is the family business. We're made through family. We're made family through Jesus Christ. So what does family do? Paul says, number two in your notes, family helps carry the load. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Have you guys ever seen this picture right here? It's going to come up on the screen in just a second. It shows a guy carrying all the groceries. And it's portraying the idea that, you know what? I'm a real man, and real men carry the groceries on one trip. 
You don't need to go back to the car. I'm going to do it all, all in one. We're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to carry all the groceries in one trip. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, this guy right here, he looks burdened to me. I'm thinking to myself, you know what? This guy must not have any family. Because family helps carry the load. You know, now that our kids are older, guess what they have the opportunity to do? They have the opportunity, the blessing. That when we go to the supermarket, they can help us out. Because they want to eat a gallon of Nutella a week. So guess what? When we go to the supermarket, you can help us carry. We can carry one another's burdens. We can help. That's what family and That's the point that Paul is making here. The word that's translated burden, uh, Junior, you can put this up, is the Greek word baros, which means heaviness, weight, burden, trouble. That's what that word that's translated burden there. And what's implying? It's implying a load that is unbearable for one person to carry. Because we were never meant to carry it all alone. We were never meant to carry all the groceries by ourselves from the car to the house in one trip. Because it's a battle. It's a burden. It's a, it's a weight that is too heavy for us to carry or to handle alone. And this is where the family comes into the picture. John Stott is a noted theologian. And about this particular passage, he said this. He said, notice the assumption which lies behind this command. Namely, that we all have burdens, that God does not mean us to carry them alone. We all have burdens, and God never designed you, and He never designed me to carry these burdens alone. Listen to me. Some of you are carrying a burden that is crushing you. Because it's a weight that is unbearable for one person to carry. God gave you family to help you shoulder the burden. And specifically when it comes, remember we're talking about restoration. So specifically when it comes to this idea of restoration, that means that the burden of your fellow brother or sister in need of restoration should also be your burden to carry. How does that change the way that we look at someone in need of restoration? It changes it drastically. Because instead of condemning, instead of judging, instead of canceling, instead of shunning the other, we're invited to bear that burden. That means our fellow Christians mess up, their fall, their sin. Guess what? It's our sin. It's our fall. It's our mess up. We help carry the load. Because they're not in this alone. You're not in this alone. I'm not in this alone. Because in Christ, we're family. And family helps carry the burden. And here's the last thing, number three. Family is about love. Family is about love. Look at verse two again. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Paul says in this way we're going to fulfill the law of Christ. What was he talking about? What was he saying? What was the law of Christ? What is he referring to? He's referring to the very words of Jesus. Look at John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. These are the words of Jesus. In fact, I'm going to invite you guys to read it with me. I know it's before dinner time, so this is going to help you, you know, 
Work up your appetite. Earn your dinner, okay? John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Ready, go. I give you a new command. Love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What's the law of Christ? Love. The law of Christ is love. The basis for family and the formula for restoration is rooted in love. It's all about love. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is love. That's who God is. God is love. That's what Christianity is grounded in. It's grounded in love. That's what the world needs. The world needs love. That's what I need. I need love. That's what you need. You need love. And as followers of Jesus, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the most loving things that we can do is be about the business of restoration and carrying one another's burdens. That's one of the most loving things that we can do. Listen, love is ultimately what will have me look at my brother or sister in need and say, you know, I will shoulder that, their burden. I, I will join them and I will walk with them on the road to restoration. And it is love that will have you look at me when I am that brother. When I am that brother that's in need of restoration, love is what's going to have you look at me and say, I will shoulder your burden. I will extend grace. I will give you compassion. I will give you mercy and forgiveness. And I will help you walk towards restoration. In the New Testament, Jesus shares a parable about a, uh, about a son who ashamedly abandons his father. <clears throat> you got a picture of this on the screen. It's a, it's a, it's a painting of it. And uh, he flees from his dad. He runs away from his family. He squanders his entire inheritance on what the Bible calls wild and reckless living. And when he comes to his senses, he decides to humble himself and go back to his father once he's, he has nothing left. He goes back to his dad and he, and he says, you know what, I'm going to accept the position of a servant or a slave. How does the father respond when the son returns? Does the father respond in disdain? Does he give his son the treatment that he deserves? Does he kick him out or disown him? Listen, just the way the son disowned him. The Bible says that while the son was still far away, the father ran to him and embraced him and loved him. The father took the road of restoration. And how do we know that? Well, if you read it, it says that he places a robe on his son. And he places a ring on his son's finger. And then he says this, This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. The road of restoration is hard. It's easier to point the finger. It's easier to shame. It's easier to tweet. That is until you're in need of restoration. Because then it becomes necessary for you, doesn't it? The law of Christ is love. And love is what allows us, permits us to restore with a gentle spirit. 
Because, hey, you never know. It could be you. It could be me. You never know. It could be us that need it. Love is what permits us to carry one another's burdens. Because you were never meant to shoulder that burden by yourself. You were never meant to do it alone. And that's what God gives you. Family. A new family in Christ. Aren't you glad that God returns love for our rebellion? Aren't you thankful that God doesn't leave you in your deplorable, sinful state? Instead, He takes the rope of restoration out of an immense love for you. Jesus absorbs the wrath of God and gives us forgiveness, he gives us restoration of our brokenness, He gives us eternity and a renewed purpose and a new life. If you're here today, and you haven't made a decision to accept God's love demonstrated and extended towards you in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity to do so today. Because we are the prodigal son. We are the prodigal children. But God is the loving Father that welcomes us back home into His loving arms. I'm going to invite the worship team up, and they're going to lead us in one more song. And I might invite you guys to partake in communion. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you want to partake in communion, you're more than welcome to. In the back, we have some prepackaged communion cups with wafers and juice. And, uh, and once they begin singing, you can go back there at your own pace, grab a cup, and partake in communion today. They're going to lead us in one song, and I'm going to invite you, as you partake in communion, to meditate and to consider what has been my response when it comes to restoration? Do I see myself as the one that needs restoring? Let's repent of sin. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us a gentle spirit. Think about your brother or sister today. As you partake in communion and meditate and pray, think about your brother or sister in need. And say, how can I show that they're brother? we were never meant to do God, I thank you that you are a God of restoration. And since you are in the business of restoration, God, I want my life to be about the family business. Forgive me, God, because I know I've been quick to judge others. It's so easy. I know I've been quick to condemn others, God. So please, God, forgive me for doing that. And help me see my need for restoration. Thank you for a new family that we have in Christ Jesus. That we can shoulder one another's burdens. That we can carry one another's burdens, God. And help us all lead one another towards a road of restoration. Where ultimately we can experience forgiveness life through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.